Hello and welcome to another episode of Weekly Comics Monthly. I am Zach Hawkins. And I am Jim Purcell. And it's been a while. Yes. Uh, we've, Me and Jim have both pretty much been caught up in life's... Life's whirlwind. Tribulations and tasks and... I, uh, yeah. General problems. Yeah. Um, what have you been up to recently, Most, Jim? Po- just quickly. Mostly working. I've been stuck at work for. We've had a. We've. I deal poker and we've had a major tournament in, and it's just been taking up all of my time. Uh, mm. Been working a lot of hours. Yeah, I, I thought that when you mentioned it previously that you dealt poker. It seems like one of those things that just kind of comes in seasons. Yeah, it definitely comes in waves. I'll get. Yeah. I'll get six days one week and three days the next. It's a bit. Yeah. It's a bit irritating. That's that, that, that's the uh, the crux of the society we live in, though, isn't it? Yeah, I imagine uh, your uh, diving stuff is is seasonal based too. Uh, yeah, where well, that's my part time job. Pretty much at uh, zero customers at this point. We're not really doing an awful lot, but um, my retail jobs. <laughs> you know, it's coming up to Christmas. That's when all the nutters come out. That is true. It is getting close to that Christmas rush. Uh, you guys got Black Friday over there? This was the first year we actually had what... Because you don't have Thanksgiving. Black Friday phenomenon. About it. This was the first year we ever had it, and it was shocking. It was absolutely horrifying, the, the, the way people were... Really? They just called it Black Friday, and you got the same behavior that we have over here? Basically. That's weird. That is bizarre. It is. It, this was the first year we ever had anywhere advertising Black Friday, right. and it was the exact same phenomena: people of, trampling each other, hitting each yep. other, yep, just mobbing it's places. Never happened before. Wow, this was the first time, and it was just awful. I mean, I turned up to our local supermarket to go and get some milk at like what six o'clock in the morning, yeah. and I couldn't get in because people were buying TVs for like half price. Jesus, yeah, that's it, that is that is so strange. It, it must but be a cultural you don't, you thing don't to have you the, guys over there. You're just used to it. You just don't have the culture. I mean, you don't have the culture of Black Friday, but all of a sudden the same behaviors come out. That's that. That is a sociology study waiting to happen. <laughs> Should imagine. No. But anyway, I mean, on the only to... reason why we do it is because it's a day after a major holiday and everyone's off work. Oh really? Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah, that, that's what, what, what holiday is this? I'm, I, I don't. Uh, it's I'm Thanksgiving. Really it's it's basically. Oh, yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's Thanksgiving cool. holiday uh, weekend. So everyone's fat on turkey, and then and they get up at four in the morning to go shopping at Walmart with the family. That's absolutely crazy, because it was just a normal Friday for us. Right. It's it's just people were out working. It just doesn't make any. It was the strangest of times. It really was. I'm sure a lot of our my English listeners are thinking more or less the same thing of people, dreading it happening people, again next year. People will kill each other for a two hundred dollar television. Mm-hmm. Oh, we had we had explosions in our local um, supermarket. Somebody um, wasn't at all happy that they couldn't get the product they want and set fire through all the compressed. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Hopefully it's not as bad over there for you, where you've had it for years. They don't set many fires. They mostly just trample each other to death. <laughs> so, no, that's much <laughs> yeah, that's not as, as, as bad, I suppose. Um, so, 
We're going to be talking about 2000 AD this episode, and of course, you may have noticed, if you follow us at all, uh, and we appreciate it that you do, we forgot to do to, uh, our weekly Shonen Jump episode last uh, month, just because we got so busy, uh, and we apologize for that. Um, I think in the in the in the interest of moving things forward, we should we're just going to move on to 2000 AD this this episode, and next episode we'll be back to weekly Shonen Jump. We probably won't do a full catch up, but uh, we will try to just talk in general about what we missed. Yeah, with, with the jump, we don't usually tend to cover all the strips anyway, yeah, so it'll too just many. be usual business as usual. It's, uh, it happens. Yeah. As I said, I think I actually said in an email to you, I don't think I follow a single podcast where they haven't been able to keep the schedule all the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a side project at the end of the day. So yeah. My other podcast is actually two months behind right now as well, so we've got to find some catch-up time in general. Thanks for... Oh, you're behind on the, on the Savage Fiction? Yeah, thing. we're behind an episode. We should have done it two weeks ago, but we haven't been able to coordinate. So it's. Well, it... I, I know you managed to get 206 done, but you've obviously not done 207 yet. Correct. And a oh. 208 will be out any time now, actually. So they're coming out. They're firing out fast. Heck. At any rate. um, So we're going to do a little bit something different. Uh, we're going to get some 2000 AD news in here whenever it becomes, uh, you know, comes around. Yep. Uh, news. Yes, news. So uh, what have you heard about, Zach, that you want to talk about? Um. Well, first to elaborate a little bit on last month, we mentioned that the 2018 mother company, Rebellion, has been doing a lot more to branch out into comics recently. It brought up a Kickstarter project called Gold Tiger, and it will be publishing that early next year. Uh, in addition to that, to add to the same line, it has recently bought Ian Edgerton and Israeli's War of the Worlds adaptation, as well as its sequels, Scarlet Traces and The Great Game. Right. Um, so they did get the War of the Worlds adaption too. Yeah, they got all three. They of got them. all three of them. See, that's a fun. Yeah. That's a. It's it's funny. It's a funny one because that was a semi-creator-owned project. It, it's it's weird that Rebellion would buy it outright. I guess it was just a it's, good deal. Yeah. I guess it's micro microtransactions like this obviously occur between creators and distributors all the time. Um, it just seems like this is a fitting situation because Ian Edgerton and Disraeli work almost exclusively for Rebellion and 2008 these days. Right, so it's a perfect fit. I mean, Scarlet Trace is, yeah. is almost a 2080s comic already. So, mm. and, and Dark Horse didn't seem to have any plans to reprint it. There was. There was a demand for reprints, and obviously the 2080 audience is the perfect uh, people to pitch it to. Correct. And hopefully this maybe we'll get a sequel at some point. That that was the other piece of news. They do. Um, Ian Edgerton has confirmed that they are working on a fourth book, so that should be out. He estimates uh, 2017 or 2018. Neat. Very neat indeed. I wonder. It's obviously it, it appears to tie into the fact that it'll appear to younger readers who haven't read it who like things like say helium or stickleback, right? By the same creative team. So they they got smart with it. I think it was a good move to yeah. decide to re-release it. Yeah, it definitely stands up there with Brass Sun and Helium and uh, yeah, that sort of thing that would appeal to the uh, to the mm. to the more younger audience. Not because yeah. it's a, 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 a more kid-friendly series, of course, because... Oh, no. But more... Definitely just, not. Yeah, just... I think Day is Israeli's art style, I think, appeals to the like this current generation of media consumers. 
it's got that animated flair to it. Yeah, he's definitely one of the more popular of the the, the modern circle yeah. of creators in 2000 AD. He's certainly one of the more prolific ones. He's got Stickleback, Helium, Low Life, quite a few titles currently ongoing that he's working on frequently, and he's in the prog at least once a year. So he's a very busy individual, and the fact that he's now working on another installment of the World of Worlds series is... Um, I don't know how he managed to get it all done, to be honest. Yeah, I know, right? I guess you have to when it's your uh, livelihood. Yeah, because that's something I didn't realize so recently. A lot of the artists who work for 2000 AD don't hold up second jobs or anything. Really? Or, or don't... Um, freelance as much? Freelance as much, yeah. I mean, PJ Holden, um, who, of course, has done a lot of dreads over the years... Um, did that Number Cruncher series with Cy Spurrier. Right. He's currently doing Department of Monsterology yep. with uh, Rennie. It's Rennie, yes. Um, the second book of that is coming out. You know, I think it might already be out, but um, that's freelance work, I suppose. Yeah. Under, what's the company called? Renegade. Right. So he, he is working on multiple projects at once. Um Whereas um, a few other people just seem to either be the primary artist or they'll do, say, the inking or the colouring for another artist. And it's like um, Ben Wilshire, I believe, has done quite a bit of inking recently, but not done a lot of his own illustrations. Right. He, he seems to have been absent for a while. Has he? I, I, I mean, I can't remember the last time we saw him, but he was almost like the third regular Dread artist for a while there. Oh right! No, I forgot he did. He did um, for Cop with Al Ewing in the magazine, right? Which was just before you jumped back on, so I forgot about that. Yeah, one. I did miss the Cop. Yeah, um, Fair. but he doesn't seem to be as prolific as he was, say, back a little bit before um, Chaos Day. Right, Chaos Day. So he did a lot of uh, oh yeah the filling arcs between Henry Flynn arcs and Colin mm. and, and McNeil art. Uh, yeah, he did. Is, Which is kind of where I got the idea that he was kind of like the third regular artist, because it's usually those three are like the main. Unless you get someone like uh, Dave Johnson, Dave Taylor coming in for like these last couple of dreads. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, you do have like a mainstay of uh, uh, regular artists, and then you have people coming just to do the shorter runs. Yeah, I get you there. Yeah. But yeah, so. Um, Coming soon, uh, the um, reprint of Dan Dare. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, oh, sorry. Is, um, these are the 2000 AD years of Dan Dare, of course, who is probably the only British comic book character who is more famous than Dread. Maybe. I don't think I could walk up to a comic book reader in the US and they, they'd know who Dan Dare is. Maybe in the UK. In you know, Definitely in the UK. I can, I can vouch for that. More people know who uh, Dare is. Yeah. Because... Obviously, I guess in America it's a case of knowing Dare only through comics. Right. Here in the UK, Dan Dare had a TV series, a radio series. He was really. It was. I didn't know there was a Dan Dare TV series. Um, it, it was a really short-lived, like CGI animated one. Right. Okay. But, uh, it, it it had a fan base and um, 
I think it was the radio dramas during the 60s or something that he was more famous for. There's a new Thunderbird series that's going to be like that too. That, yes, there is an all. And Captain Scarlet got one a while ago. But uh, that's... Something. That is something. Um, but, um, my familiarity no. with Dan Dare is actually pretty limited. I, I read one of the, the the Titan collections, I think, of the Eagle years. Yeah, that was the original Eagle incarnation. Origin, yeah, I liked it a lot. I thought it was actually a lot smarter than a lot of those other you know comics from that period were. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it looks well, that, great. That's, that's why he lasted so long, because he was a pioneering character. Because he did things differently to what everyone else was doing. And they had some really great creative teams on it. Like, um, the original Eagle had uh, Bladanelli, Massimo Bladanelli, who did a lot of stuff for, like, Slain, and he did Mean Team and stuff like that for 2000 AD. Um, so where's a lot of the kids' comics then weren't, like, orientated towards them so much as just being products, like, to make money from. Dan Dare was the first comic of that period to truly want to entertain people. Right, okay. So, it, it, it was kind of a revelation for... I will say that the Eagle material is... It, it's good fun. It's not aged in the sense that I could show it to kids these days and expect them to find it as entertaining gotcha. as uh, someone from back then would have. The 2000 AD ones, though, I do think have held up quite well. Really? Because They're mostly Pat Mills written, right? Yeah. But this was Pat Mills before he um, yeah. started writing American Reaper, so obviously. Moving on from that. But, um, yeah, I'm, I, I, the Dan Dare material from 2000 AD was always considered, like, the, the stuff that you'd never see reprinted again just because of how the rights were always held. So it's actually fascinating that it's finally arrived in a collected form. It's almost like Zenith in that respect, I guess. Yeah, it's, like one it's, of the... it's interesting to see both of them, which were like the two 2000 AD series that people said they'll never get reprinted. In the space of two years, both have been reprinted. Right. So, like, you know, there practically isn't anything that's off-limits anymore. Which obviously ties back into what I said about War of the Worlds. It's surprising that it's taken so long for it to be reprinted, despite there being such a demand for it. It was obviously a rights issue or uh, some such. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's cool. It's a it's very interesting time in terms of you know reprints and, and, and acquisitions and that sort of thing. And the fact that it's all available digitally and physically, so you, you get that choice. I mean... It's fantastic to think you can read a comic on an iPad that was first published yeah, nine, 40 years ago. Right. That's absolutely nuts to, 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 to picture something that's endeared so long. I haven't got the first collection yet, but I um, Which, haven't got it on order. I'm actually waiting until I get to uh, the 2000 AD Fort Bubble convention. Right. Because you can usually get it cheaper than online there. So I'll probably pick it up there. Um, but I should, um, once I've read it, I'll, I'll no doubt talk about it a little bit at the end of uh, a future episode. Do you intend to pick it up um, in a, when it goes live on the digital shop? Uh, Dan Dare? Probably. Maybe not right mm. away, but I'm definitely going to get it. Mm. Just from purely curiosity standpoint. Yeah. How do you buy most of the um, graphic novels for 2080? Are they available on the Kindle app, or can you only get them through the I, 2000? I, I only buy through Rebellion just because it's convenient, and I know I'm going to get the DRM free version. 
I, I uh, actually don't know what the availability on Amazon is anymore. Okay. Um, it doesn't seem to be. It seems like um, Western comics are trying to move away from Amazon and Kindle, and are focusing on Comicsology and. Uh, well, Comicsology. So comics, two thousand eight, he would do the same. Well, Comicsology is owned by Amazon now. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. So you, you, actually, ever since that happened, a lot's changed. Uh, that's that's actually when all the DRM free stuff really started showing up on Comicsology. Was after the buyout. Okay. Um, and actually, uh, recently, Dark Horse, who who have their own app uh, and website for all their digital comics, they've recently debuted on Comicsology as well. And I assume Only through the trades. Yeah. yeah. I assume, Well, it was just the trades. Now they're actually doing single issues, which okay. which surprised me because either that means they're going to get out of doing their own distribution, or there's something else going on. Possibly, but they're not because if they've gone on to single issues, their own app's redundant. Now. Right now, it's mostly redundant. I mean, um, just to go back to Weekly Shonen Jump really quick, they recently debuted on Comixology as well, mm, and yeah. I stopped buying it through their app. Now I buy them all through Comixology just for convenience' sake. Mm. Does it read better through the Comixology it, app? It, or... read, it reads exactly the same. The only major difference is okay. you can't use the um, the um, the the um, the uh, chapter jump, yeah, thing. the chapter jump on the table of contents, that, okay. that does not work, which is unfortunate. But otherwise, it it's reads identical. Yeah, I've stuck with the um, the own app for now. Yeah, and also I... you can't get subs through Comicsology, and currently I don't have a sub because I'm broke. And for because and like a dummy, of course, I pay a dollar an issue every week instead of mm. paying twenty five in advance and get them for fifty cents each because. That's how broke I am. I have to spend more to save more. Mm. It's, it's, it's yeah, I, I know that feeling. Yeah. I've been there. But anyway. It's the weird paradox of A, not having money one day, and then B, having it the next day. Yeah. I can pay a dollar every week, but I can't pay 25 once. Mm. Yeah. Well, that, that basically covers the news. Um, um, you wanted to talk about the uh, Future Sharks documentary. Oh, of course, yes. Thank you for reminding me. Um, in early 2013, there was a documentary produced called Future Shock, uh, the story of 2000 AD. It covered the first 35-odd years of 2000 AD and how it affected the readership, how it went on to affect comics in general. It featured multiple interviews with um, famous readers, um, famous Contributors to 2008, like creators, Pat Mills, John Wagner, um, Simon Fraser, uh, Simon Davis, Mike McMahon, Brian Bolland, they were all interviewed. Uh, famous readers included people like Simon Pegg and so on and stuff like that. They were all interviewed for it. And Oh, famous people who read, not people, oh, not yeah, famous, famous readers. readers. Oh, so, no, it, it's, it's um, celebrity readers, yeah. let's put it that way. So there was... Um, yeah, Simon Pegg and uh, Nick Frost and all that, all that crowd, famous comedians and stuff like that who read it. It, w- it was like an examination as well as how it was in the late 1970s. It was like a reaction to uh, kind of like Thatcher's era um, politics and stuff like that. It was like a punk. It was the first true punk comic. Yeah. Whereas everything else was like catered to the upper class boys comics and stuff like that it was it's just how it was 
it's developed over the last 30, uh, 30 odd years. I keep saying 35 years, we're actually close to 40 now. Um, that's a scary thought. Yeah, um, we're pushing, we're, we're what, past 35 now, right? Or is it going on 40? Uh, it'll be 40 in 2017. Yikes. Yeah. I remember when the 30th anniversary was happening. The 35th. It's, it's amazing, though, to think that a, a comic can run weekly for 40 years. Especially in this comic environment. I know. Seems to be doing pretty well, though, in general. It does. The, that, that's the thing with the um, how it's sold here in the UK. You can get it on like all the newsagent stands and stuff like that. You don't have to go to a specialist shop for it or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I think the digital format has also helped, and obviously the Dread movie got a lot of new readers in, which I believe some of them have stuck around for. And I believe that the parts work that's going on at the minute, the like the Judge Dread Mega Collection, right? That's um, that's selling pretty well as well. That's so, good to hear. Yeah, the documentary is absolutely fantastic. There's an opening sequence which has several like famous panels from throughout 2080 animated and I could have watched that all day that was one of the best bits is it available of... anywhere right now like on YouTube it's not available on YouTube but it is available to pre-order on DVD on Amazon I am informed that it will be available to pre-order on Blu-ray as well soon um, they're just um, getting some aspects of the, the, the disc right and it will also be available on iTunes on uh, get the date up. What are you looking on their website? Yeah, hang on. 7th of December. Okay, that's when pre-orders start, or is that when it ships? No, that that's when it will be released. Okay. So it's available to pre-order on DVD now, Blu-ray will be up in the next week or so, and it will be available on iTunes from the 7th. Cool. I'll have to check that out. It is. It, it's an excellent documentary. It really is. Um... I don't watch that many documentaries about comics. Yeah. So, mainly because unless somebody tells me about them, I don't know they exist. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we've got um, Channel 4 and BBC 3 over here, which show ones for, like, Mobius and stuff like that every now and again. Oh, there's about half a dozen documentaries on Mobius. It's ridiculous. Um, but this, I think, is actually the first proper 2000 AD documentary. So... It's pretty awesome. It it talks a lot. It, it it doesn't talk about so many specific strips. To my memory, the only strips it talks about in detail are Judge Dredd, of course, yep. Strontium Dog, Halo Jones, and Zenith, and that's just off the top of my head. I see. Uh, I think the Zenith one was primarily talking about like the legal issues about it and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And it it, it was it was excellent and just fun of and um, it was worth it just to see Pat Mills rant off about the government. It's, it's like, say what you will about the, his comics, whether you like his comics or not, Pat Mills is a hilarious individual to talk to and to just hear his opinions. He's a very expressive and very liberal individual. He had some very colourful language throughout, like Malcolm Tucker level swearing. Oh! Well, that certainly sounds like something cool to watch. I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for it, probably for the iTunes version. Mm. Yeah, seventh of December, I believe. Seventh of December. So check it off your calendars, kids. What? 
Check it off on your calendars. <laughs> Check it off on your calendars. So, we should probably get into uh, 2000 AD. Uh, we're going to be talking about Prague's, uh, what are we on here? We're on 1948 through 1901. Yep. No, I got that very wrong. No, 1946. Yeah, 19... Including the Judge Fire story that we skipped out last time. Right. Through to 1952. 1952, okay. Oh, uh, actually, 1951. I think we're going to... Oh, yeah, I don't have oh, 52. Yet. I haven't read 52 yet, so we're going to leave okay, that for Okay, we'll just talk about 51 then. Okay. That's fine then. Yeah, that's fine. All right, so we should get into what we left off last time. We should uh, talk about the Dreams of Dead World um, mm. series. Uh, of course, uh, this series was brought to us by uh, Keck W., who I've always been a big fan of. Um, He's kind of like my my lesser favorite. Um, I think mostly because um, he was doing this series called Second City Blues when I first started reading, and it was like a, a future sports comic. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't anything special, but it was pretty good. I liked it. What was that one? Second Second City Blues. Uh, yeah, Second City Blues. Not to be confused. I'm not familiar with not that one. Be... I might have to take to Barney about that. Yeah, not to be confused with. Um... Um, oh, there's another one name like that that always everyone mixes it up with. I can't remember it off the top of my head though. Um, but yeah, it was a future sports comic. It had uh, an interesting like concept, and it promised me a sequel that has never materialized. So I still <laughs> I still await that day, the return of Second City Blues Book Two. It's gonna have to get in line behind Lobster Random though. Yeah. Um, but he comes back every once in a while. He most recent major strip I can th- remember is that um, Angel strip from two or three years ago. With uh, oh yeah, with, Angel. With, what was it? Angel Seven. Angel, Angel Angel Zero. Angel Zero. With yes. uh, yeah, with with um, um, John Burns. Yes, it was. Um, I don't remember much about that one, but it is one that I think I'd quite like to reread. Yes. Uh, one of the, you know one of those odd little one-off strips. I believe that one actually. I seem to remember it ended on a cliffhanger, but I could be mistaken. Uh, it definitely left room open for a sequel, so mm. maybe someday. Maybe someday. Um, I'm actually not sure how much a capacity he, he his his writing was involved in the Dreams of Dead World, because if I remember correctly, the artist, uh, Dave Kendall, kind of came yeah. up with this uh, from a dream that he had. Yeah. Uh, and, and he made... The four he made four illustrations which he uploaded to social media and those are like the covers for each chapter. Right. So I think that's how the gig first started. Yeah. So I'm not sure if if uh, if uh, Keck W was mostly just doing the scripting for it or you know was just being the the soundboard guy for for bouncing ideas back and forth. But um, either way, uh, illustri- Ill- uh, artistically, this series is absolutely gorgeous. Oh yeah, nightmarish is the word I would use. I think a lot of people were like drawing comparisons to like 2000 AD in the mid 90s when this sort of painted artwork was commonplace. Yeah, I think it's unfair to be honest. I also think it's, it's a lot not better. Painted, painted, oh yeah, definitely. Painted styles in the 90s were always trying to imitate Simon Bisley. Right. They'd always be over dependent on browns and blacks and purples, and they just look like a muddied mess. Uh, I think. I once compared it to a another Dark Judges miniseries actually cropped up in the 90s called Tales of Necropolis. Yeah. Actually, there's uh, some of that got reprinted recently in the floppies. Yeah. 
um, that wasn't very good for the most part. Right. Uh, it was just the Dark Judges killing a lot of people, and it didn't add anything to them whatsoever. Right. Uh, this, in comparison, is not technically an origin story. I'm not but even it... sure if it's supposed to be canon. It's just kind of like telling stories about the Dark Judges that mm. may or may not be real. Yeah. I suppose, like, uh, you've got the whole dreams of Dead World. Right. It's, it's uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Unreliable narration. Yeah. You can't trust it. it. Certainly, all four judges look different then, to their conventional appearance. Yep. It's like um, Judge um, Fire loses his um, b- bottom jaw here and doesn't seem to get it back for the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. So, um, also, Mortis is a lot fatter than he usually is. He has a cow's skull instead of a sheep's skull, too. Yeah. Um, I've th- what oh, I think what most interesting about this series is that it's sort of it, it's sort of um a, what am I trying to say? There's a lot more. There were there were a lot more dark judges at some point during yes. Death's uh, purging of Death World. Yeah. Um, and we've seen a few of them. I mean, I most recently read uh, the Dead Man series, and I was I had not I have not read Necropolis. Um, okay. So I was surprised when the Sisters of Death were introduced and they were both like full-fledged dark judges in uniform and everything. Yeah. I didn't really think that was the case. I thought that, I didn't think there were any more dark judges, but it's kind of cur- it's kind of interesting how this sort of like expands yeah. the dark judges as like a, a group. This happens um, every now and again. Someone will come along and they'll introduce some new dark judges, but other than the 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 dark the sisters the sisters of death right none of them have really stuck around R- I think the only one that comes to my mind no two were Kraken in Necropolis who was obviously a dread clone who went bad right and um, became another dark judge and the other one was in the last Batman crossover oh when when Joker became a dark judge I forgot about that yeah yeah I think most people tried to forget it happened. <laughs> Um, of course, uh, I don't know. I didn't mind it. Yeah, of course. Um, this is sort of coincidentally in timing. Uh, IDW, of course, did a dread arc with all these new dark judges, and they were all and they were all awful. awful. So it's kind of funny that it's it, it's this this series kind of tried to introduce us to a bunch of different variants of the dark judge concept hmm. as well. Some of them I really like. Yeah, me like, too. Uh, from the, the, the fire, the, the first of the... One thing we haven't mentioned is that each of these four-part stories is... No, I mean, the four-part miniseries Dreams of Dead World is just a series of one-shots. They're not connected. Not directly, anyway. Not directly. Um, and they're all from the point so of view of each of the Dark Judges. Fire, Mortis... Um, fear and Death. Fear and Death, yeah. Um... So in the Judge Fire one, he, um, he he seems to go under the ocean in order to um, um, address a corrupt Dark Judge, a pair of corrupt Dark Judges who are keeping the last remnants of Dark World alive for experiments. Right. Which, of course, is, is against the law because it's a crime to be alive. So Judge Fire goes after them to um, execute them. But Fire's got kind of like an almost... 
romantic relationship with uh, this other judge? Well, one of them, yeah. And uh, doesn't seem all too keen to actually kill her off. So uh, she seems to... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-destruct, almost. Rather than uh, be taken in by fire or death or anyone. Right. Or give them satisfaction of being murdered. But I don't know what Fire's deal was with um, this particular sister or this particular dark judge. Like, I I thought Fire, like, all, all, all the other dark judges were supposed to be emotionless. Yeah. So, well, it, it seemed a little odd to me that he would be frustrated that... Um, uh, this particular judge would go corrupt. He, he seemed almost hurt by the betrayal. Right. Of course, how is it, it so ends? Some kind of weird love story going on. Yeah, but this is sort of like I think it's implied that this is like the catalyst of why he becomes so emotionally distant because it sort of ends on the note that he feels nothing. Yeah. So it's like okay, I see that. Yeah. So this is kind of like why. F- it's sort of supposed to infuse, imply why fire is, you know, generally shown as being, you know, distant and emotionless. Yeah. Um, it doesn't address the fact, however, that he's always the first dark judge to get defeated. <laughs> I always assume that's just because he's the most direct, so he's always like the first threat that you come across. So you. Oh no! Quick, somebody throw a blanket yep. on him. <laughs> um. I thought the uh, modus, the mortis one, it was actually really interesting because yeah, that was a fascinating little twisted tale, wasn't it? Yeah. It was pretty messed up. Um, I, I like how it's um, it's half you know typical judge, uh, judge um, dark judge tale and um, half Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, he lives in this weird mushroom world. Hmm. Yeah, he definitely likes his rotting bodies, doesn't he? Um, yeah, and then of you're... course this alien ship lands. Yeah, so I don't know if it was ever has it ever been implied that they completely purged their universe, or is it just Earth? I think it was just Earth. Yeah, you'd think but... you'd think they they'd go to other worlds before they go to other dimensions, just from an ease standpoint. Yeah, but I think that's. Um... They just assumed to go to other dimensions because Judge Fire, uh, well, no, Judge Death discovered the sisters right. who had achieved the ability to jump between dimensions. So we just went, you know, or oh, go on, we'll use that. That makes sense. So, the space travel, you would, you would have thought that. I, I seem to remember from the the Judge Death like prequel series that they had achieved the same level of technology as Dread's World. Right. So they should have been able to go into space, but for whatever we, for whatever reason, they didn't. I, I, um, I don't know. That's an interesting avenue to look down. But this was kind of like a the Mortis story was a little look into what would happen if they did. Right. Because these these aliens, what were they called? Oh, I don't think they're actually given a name. Are really curious about Mortis because they think this is what all life looks like. On Earth, and right. it's really fascinating, and he's a gentle giant. And obviously, they find out soon enough that uh, Mortis is completely twisted, and 
disgusting. He seems to be, have a lot more emotion in this one than he would normally. Yeah, he kind of comes across as like being like a refined sort of like um, aristocrat. Yes. But it seems very keen on material wealth. Seems to take a lot of pride in the um, dead fluids he produces and his stopwatch. And he seems to get quite angry that his uniform was ruined at one point. So, this is a this is once again you were mentioning it's a not might not entirely be canon. It's an interesting reevaluation of yep. Mortis's character. Yeah, this typically um, personality free character. What what he may actually be like as a character. Mm. Yeah, just have d- actual emotion. Yeah. Because he, he toys with the last survivor of the, the alien race. Rather than killing him off, he gives him the dead fluids. So he keeps him alive as like a toy that he can keep killing and bring him back. So he's, he's definitely got like some sense of fun or pleasure or something. Right. He's not um, the, the same character that appeared in, say, Necropolis, who was very much emotionless and... Uh, didn't take any joy in having to hunt down the, the cadets in the underground. He's a very... I wouldn't be so certain writing it off as out of continuity, but it seems it, it, it would also fit the bill as being an alternative universe take on yeah. Dark Judges. Both Fire and Mortis um, thus far, as we've discussed, have not particularly fits their personalities as seen in the Dread serials. But I just really like the idea of Mortis obviously being faced with a new challenge after years of being bored. Right. Yeah, he see yeah, he, he the his whole premise was that he is bored and and he'd even flaunt the law to just have a few moments of like, you know, contact with like anybody. Yeah, which is kind of funny because you would have thought if he was so bored or lonely he would have just teamed up with one of his uh, buddies or something. Or I don't know, He seemed, they, as we'll find out later, he seems pretty happy to kill off his um, fellow dark judges. True. So you would have thought he would have just, you know, he would have found some kind of pastime. But, um, you know, opportunity arises and uh, the Mortis one-shot ends with him sending out the stress beacon on the alien ship, waiting for more of them to come. Right. So, perhaps they did actually kill another entire race other than uh, Earth. Maybe. Who knows? You would have thought he could have just got in the spaceship, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing left here, might as well go and look on, I don't know, Mars or something. Um, Moving on to Fear... Um, I found this one kind of fascinating from a character standpoint. Um, fear seems to like... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? He likes... He gets disturbed by, like, just the smallest sound. It's like his domain. He wants to be as... 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 Not so much silent, but as as motionless as possible. Yeah. He, he doesn't want any distractions at all. He doesn't want anything to disturb him. Yeah. He, he, what I got from his general attitude was that he seemed to give off like an aura of someone who's, I don't know, got 
OCD or extreme anxiety and really doesn't really does not appreciate other people. Right. His sense of order is like complete order. Oh yeah. Nothing out of place. And so it, it all has to be in his vision. And that was the thing. You looked at Fire and Mortis and their domains are messy and all over the show and covered in chaos. You see Fear's domain, it's all Rigid it's still, geometric a, it's still a nightmare, but it's all orderly. Yeah, rigid geometric shapes. Mm. Clean, so to speak. Right. Not 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 uh, uh, not so much the uh, the blood and the guts, more like the the iron and the the metalwork. Yes. In fact, you actually look at his domain. Mortis is walking on corpses. I don't think Fear has any. It, it looks like he's completely alone in his kind of like little palace of chains. Yeah, of course there's going to be lots of chains, isn't there? But, um, no, I, 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 I completely agree. I found the analysis of the character's personality to be absolutely fascinating. Really interesting little insight into um, the mechanics of my personal favourite Dark Judge. Yeah, and when, he, uh, and when, he, and when something upsets his, his sense of order... When he f- discovers someone who is not afraid of him, it absolutely mm. haunts him. Yeah. That, that... He, oh, he did not like that. But the, the, there was a weird kind of mercy he took. Rather than brutally murdering that young boy who actually was was not afraid of him, was willing to sh- stand, stand his ground and shoot fear in the face, rather than murdering him brutally, chucked him out of a 50-story building. It's... Uh, Fate's worse than death comes to mind. Right. And he lies to fire. Oh, he does. Yes. Because he can't stand the idea that somebody else would know that... They weren't afraid of him. Right. But, um... This is definitely my favorite of the four. Just in terms... I I think I'd tie with the Mortis one for me. Yeah. I, I really, really did enjoy it, though. We also got to see a rare look at... Fear's face. We never usually get to see it behind uh, the the, um, the visor that he's wearing. Yeah, of course. I always assume it looks different to whoever's looking at it. Yeah. I always I assume. It, I always assumed it was just like a dark void. And there's nothing in there. There's nothing in there, and it's just whatever your mind projects. Okay. It's like a psychic mirror of some kind. Okay. That's always my, my assumption, anyway. Hmm. Yeah, because in the past it's been like multiple eyeballs and like tentacles and stuff like that. This one looks like a spider or something. I don't know. But um, I've just noticed that some of the people living in this block aren't humans. So. No, there's, no, they are. It's just he has influenced this one to see them as monsters. Oh. So he, oh, that's what's going yeah, on. He's, right. he's, he's made them. He's, he's made them turn upon themselves as by. I yeah. see. I didn't. No, I didn't think of that. I thought it was that there was some kind of multi, multicultural race going on. Yeah. On dead. Oh, okay, I see it now. Yeah, there's some really um, twisted imagery though. It's like that. Um, that one guy who gets his head blown ripped off by um, the fierce bear trap. Yeah. And the head's still talking. <laughs> It's no, the artwork is perfectly fitting, grotesque and claustrophobic and nasty, but it works. 
wasn't entirely sure on this one, this particular one, the, the fear one shot ending on the the dread pun that's <laughs> been used multiple times over the years. Yeah, it, I think it's sort of implied that the, very, the next person he meets that's not scared of him is dread, which is a little on the nose. Mm. Yeah, that's um, that's one of those things, though, isn't it? Uh, I think uh, the, the joke's been used to death. Right, but. No pun intended, but um, it's 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 a fair cop, and that brings us on to the last one, which is Judge Death, who who is the most on model of the uh, of the of the four dark judges in this series. He didn't really get redesigned, did he? Not significantly. Just just more detailed than usual. Yeah. It's uh, this. This was an interesting one because, as you mentioned before, it brought in a lot of previously unintroduced uh, dark judges, um, and some of them are really interesting looking. I wouldn't actually mind there being a sequel where we could perhaps look at these guys a little bit more. Right. Look at their stories. Um, they, they they reminded me of, and this is a this. The Dark Judges have always reminded me of these, but seeing these guys in particular has reminded me. Have you ever watched any of the Hellraiser movies? I have not, but you're going to talk you about... You haven't? You... No. I'm not big on horror movies. Okay. Oh, yeah, you've mentioned before now. Well, it's... The Dark Judges have, uh, in a sense, very similar to um, the Cenobites. Cenobites, from that's Hellraiser. It. Yeah. And... Uh, in this particular one, there are quite a few that remind me. It's like there's Judge Silence, who's had his fingers welded together and constantly covering his mouth. Now, so we can't that was it. a good gag. Yeah. But also, did you notice on him, uh, he's, he's got burn marks in the shape of hands on his ears? No, I didn't so notice that. Like, so it's like Judge... I think what it's implied is Judge Fires burnt his ears off. Ah. By, like, grabbing hold of his head and burning them off. But... Yeah, I don't know. I mentioned that in the forum, and um, oh, Dave Kendall responded saying, "I hadn't thought of that, but now I can't stop thinking about it. I think I might actually make that his origin story." I'm just kind of like, mm, "Okay, that was." Um, I, I like it when there's little details like that, and you can decipher these characters' personalities. I don't think any of them are actually the IDW. Dark judges. No, though. I don't think so I think, either. I think their I think their presence is just kind of like inferred by deduction. But um, I really liked um, Judge Scourge. Was it the guy with a ridiculous amount of fish hooks and stuff attached to him? The one who attacks death. Oh, is that who we? Oh, okay, yeah. So the the, re- the slightly reddish one. Oh, okay, that is a lot of fish hooks. Yeah. Yeah. It's just character designs, I think, and personalities. I think quite fascinating. I'd, I'd like to see, as I say, another couple of one shots, perhaps exploring them. Yeah, I thought that this would be a good series to like revisit, maybe once a year. Mm. Maybe it would definitely make. Um, perhaps if they did a Halloween special every year, yeah, they'd have eight a Dreams of Dead World special in each one of them. Yeah, that would make the most sense. Oh. I think that would be great. I do got to say, I did. I I like this Judge Dre- Death one the least of the four. Okay. Um, just because I don't think it said much about Death as a character. 
Uh, I mean, it, actually, that's a lie. It does actually say a lot about death as a character because he's very theatric. He's theatric. I mean, he stages his own uh, his own. Uh, he stages a murder just to try to catch out those that are trying to betray him. Mm. I mean, that is classic death when you think about it. You know, the kind of way he leads. But I don't think it really adds anything to him. No, I don't. Uh, no, I didn't like it as much as the fear or. Uh... Or, oh, God, the um, the Mortis one. But I still think it was an okay little tale. Yeah, I mean, it's a good end cap, because it sort of brings it all together. Yeah, and he's the most recognizable of the four by a country mile. Right. But I think that's, you know, my typical opinion of the Dark Judges, is that I want to know more about the other three than death, because death has been done to death. Yeah. Pardon the pun. No, yeah, you're right. Death's had too many series. He's had more appearances than the others in Tread and... Uh, um, Anderson he, he's been around and he's kind of had his turn that was kind of my big disappointment with Day of Chaos because I thought oh blooming heck it's like, oh, the Fear, Fire and Mortis are going to be released and we're finally going to see them operate as a trio without death nope nope right back in the bottle yep and then he got they you know teamed up P, well they got captured by PJ maybe and that didn't really go anywhere either well, not for another year, anyway. Yeah, I um, I had, I was deep down kind of hoping that maybe he was going to get turned into a dark judge somehow. Now, see, I thought similar, but I thought he'd become the host for death. Yeah, I mean that would make like, sense. But um, I don't know. It it would have depended. Um, I mean, I I'm still angry that they haven't explained how death's come back from hell. I know, right? There's no explanation. It's like said, oh, oh, the Sisters of Death did it. I said, well, that's basically the same as saying a wizard did it. A wizard did it. It's, you know, it's, there's, it, there's no explanation. The, the reason My Name is Death was such a good send-off to the character was it was a memorable one. He was dragged into hell by the... All the spirits that he put all there. All the spirits that he'd murdered, which are a lot of them. And what, so, uh, what I actually liked most about it was he basically got stopped by somebody who was... His like his opposite. He had you know, mm. you know his, his similar psychic being that had been created as like a counterpoint, counterweight. Mm. You know, and and after years of being top dog and oh you can't defeat me, he he was faced with someone who could easily defeat him. Right. So it was a good send off and Dark Judges, Dark Justice, which was published earlier this year. Uh, kind of, I don't know. Undone all, undid all that. Yeah, undid the greatness of it. I think, I think it's unfortunate that my name, my name is Death, is kind of like an un. It's not like a major like release. Like I don't think a lot of people have read it or know about it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how well it's actually received. I think. It, I think it was also criticized a lot at the time. So, I do seem to, yeah, I see. I, I know a lot of people banter about, like, saying, oh, my name is Death, isn't that good? And yeah. I, I, I don't know. They read it on a weekly or monthly basis. Right. I can't remember where it was. Published. I think they were just disappointed in uh, Death's send off. I think they were unsatisfied. Yeah. Maybe they wanted Dredd or Anderson to finish him off somehow. Which wouldn't have made much sense when you think about it. Death's, like, confronted hundreds of thousands of people and opponents over the year, so to specifically make it Dread and or Anderson right. would have been cliche as all hell. Sure so I really liked what they did um, by creating a new character and a new kind of aspect of the mythology of 
the 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 spirituality in Dread's world. Yeah. So I, I think it worked well, and this is why I like Dreams of Dead World as a whole because it's not trying to be the next follow-up to Dark Justice or My Name Is Death. It's a reevaluation of each Dark Judge as a character and what they're capable of, and um, that's. I think the strongest point of the death one shot is the fact um, he is theatric and it underlines all his flaws. But at the end of the day, you know, we're stuck with him. We still love him. Yeah, he's still a complete bastard, and uh, he's a key aspect of the series. Key aspect of 2000 AD, I would argue. Yeah, he's definitely a cornerstone uh, character, recognizable. Definitely necessary, I think. But, yeah. yeah. And I think this has always highlighted why I think keeping it at four Dark Judges is the perfect number, because right. we can flesh Fear, Fire and Mortis out some other time. Mm, we keep saying. Um, uh, but then Death is, you know, the ultimate bad guy of Dread's world. Right. And, and actually, I'd actually argue that's PJ, maybe. But uh, yeah. Death is, you know, the reliable stick you can keep going back to. For better or for worse. Yeah. So yeah, Dreams of Dead World was a was a pretty good, I think, really, you know, four part shot in the arm. I, I think it didn't overstay its welcome. It looked great. No. Even if it was absolutely awful, you couldn't complain it outstayed its welcome. Right. Four parts is pretty, you know, it's easy to just say I liked it. I know some people said, oh, it's a horrible throwback to the 90s. Yeah. And, uh, but even they said, oh, it's only four parts. Right. Oh, well. Yeah. So it's, it's inoffensive at worst. At worst. But I, I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, so moving on, uh, we, just, just, to, just to conclude out the, um, the, the uh, 2080 run before the jumping on Prague of uh, 1950... Um, we got a two-parter Judge Dredd from uh, Ian Edgington and one of my favorite artists, Dave Taylor. Mm-hmm. I love Dave Taylor's art. I love Dave Taylor. I wish well. he's I w- not in round. En- he's not round enough. He's not what? Oh, he's not around enough. Yeah. Yeah. You get maybe one or two a year from him, and yeah, he, he, he's definitely one of the more interesting Dread artists. I think. Mm. Um, this particular story is weird. And strange, and strange and weird in terms of tone. Yes. It, it was, It was in a sense, a four-parter that was compacted into two parts by making each part double length. Right. So it gives it a really... When you're used to only reading six pages of Dread a week, it feels a bit odd to, to have this stilted kind of 12-page two-part story. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that, that, that made it a bit odd on first read, but when I read it back as a one in one go, it holds up really well. I, I do like the concept behind it of, you know, after Chaos Day and Trifecta and most recently um, the Titan yep. invasion, uh, Mega City 1 is a bit rough. royally down the shitter. It's really in a bad state, and they got nuclear reactors just boiling over out in the out out in the uh, derelict areas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, they just don't not yeah. have the manpower to police it. Nope. So 
they create a ranger force, uh, or at least they create a test pilot for a ranger force, which is basically one up from city death, but um, slightly, well, no, not slightly less incompetent because they're just as bloody incompetent. Yeah. Um, I think this really highlights the fact that people criticise the judges and Justice Department, but at the end of the day, if it wasn't for the judges and Justice Department, Mega City 1 would have nothing to protect it because everybody else is bloody useless. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah. The, um, it, 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 it paints a pretty interesting idea of, wh- of why do- don't the judges have a you know civilian police force to assist them. It, and it mostly seems to come down to the fact that because they aren't properly, you know, they don't have the 15 years of training to be, like, completely, like, in the job, they're yeah. more prone to things like opinions and just making mistakes. Yeah. Which is what I really liked about the team that Edgerton created to work with Dread on the Ranger Force on this one, because you've got several civilians, you've got... An ex-judge who's more machine than man. And you've got a Wally Squad judge who went feral. So you've got a really interesting mix of people who've been through different opinions in their life. Which I think was... And it was a nice twist. Certainly, I I, I think um, Jane Doe was one of the more interesting one-off supporting characters in Dread in a while. Well, she was a she was a scrubbed-out judge, right? Or was she the Wally Squad judge? She was the Wally Squad judge. Yeah. And then there was the... I forget his name. I'm actually on the page. There was the cyborg kind of ro- half-robot judge who was a complete cad by the end of it. But you, you say the story is was odd and weird and everything like I that. I think it's more about how... Dread's character doesn't seem to be in line with Wagner's current version. Yeah, he seems a bit more of a hard bastard than, yeah. than, than usual. It's like how in the first part um, he, he kicks out um, a, a lot of muties into the wasteland. Right. Even though they have properly maintained a city block that they've taken up refuge in and everything, they're not doing any harm, they're actually helping getting the city back on its feet. Right, you'd think that, like, Wagner's Dread would, like, arrest them, but then, like, confine them to the block they're already living in or something like that. He would find some technicality to both, you know, punish them, but also help them. Yeah. Whereas this Dread just kicks them all back out into the cursed earth. Yeah, he feels like Dread from 20-odd years ago. Which, uh, not 20, uh, yeah, you know, before the democracy storyline started. Right. Before America and Total War and all those origins and all that, that started to change Dread as a character. It, it, you know, it feels like pre... Before Wagner realised that he could use Dread for more than just being um, an Arnold Schwarzenegger type character. If you know what I mean. Like, he could actually develop him as a character. Yeah. Give him some development. And um, this Ian Edgerton story didn't feel quite right. Whereas both Rob Williams and uh, Al Ewing and everyone else has managed to pretty much toe the line in comparison to Edgerton. That being said, Edgerton doesn't write that much dread, does he? He doesn't, no. 
And it's weird because every time he does it, always it always feels like the off dread. Yeah, there's always just something a little off about his dread, and I think it's because he he likes writing him old school. Mm-hmm. And I think it doesn't always gel with what's going on with dread currently. Yeah, it's a little. I un- think- it's a little unfortunate, but I think some people kind of like it as a throwback. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people like hard ass dread. Yeah, but it's it, it, it's when you get the personal moments that it, it kind of falls apart and doesn't feel like it works quite right. Because you have the moment right at the end of this story where it's um, the ex Wally Squad judges like going, "Oh, Justice Department has to change." we have to change for the people and you know Dredd would have taken that on board if it had been Wagner or someone else and, but in this he just scrubs it out and goes the, 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 the troop program doesn't work let's move on so yeah overall you know, as a Dread 2 parter we'll four party our guess that they were all double linked it was okay it was pretty good I mean we got some good Dave Taylor artwork out of it so yeah yeah, and I had a pretty good firefight scene in the second half. Yes, I did. I, I did like that. How it was first, um, dreads up against all these robots, and then out of nowhere, these Black Atlantic pirates turned up. Yeah, which was a bit of a weird twist. I think it was. I think it was implied that they they were the ones who were stealing all the robots that caused all this. Because the, oh, the whole yeah. premise was that the, the robot workforces that maintained a lot of these facilities were getting jacked, getting kidnapped, stolen. Okay. And I think the pirates were part of the problem. So it, the whole reason they created the Ranger Force was to to monitor that sort of thing. So it, it kind of made a little sense that they'd run into them in these, uh, these um, un, unoccupied areas. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes any sense. No, no, I get that. Uh, it's, it's just the, the muty scene, and indeed the scene with the 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 elsters in the like the cryogenic tubes. Where, rather than like take them out or something and let them live their last couple of minutes and then take them to recycle, Dread just pushes the button and offs them, and then says, "Oh, well, it, uh, legally they were closer to dead than alive, and the dead don't have rights." Right. And it's just kind of like. Hang on, that's Judge Death's line. I know, right? That 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 it was little bits like that that made me feel like, oh here we go. I was I found the, the Dave Taylor story. Great executions by Robbie Morrison and Dave Taylor. Um, Mor- Morrison. Robbie Morrison's another one whose dread feels a little bit off from the one mm. Wagner would write. I don't remember much about that story, or at least from Morrison's writing perspective. I might have to revisit it. Um, he hasn't writ- wrote much, much Dread recently. In fact, he doesn't seem to have done much for 2000 AD for a while. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anything he's done recently. I mean, ever since Dante ended, he hasn't really had a, a series of his own. No. Which is unfortunate. Hopefully, well, Shakara finished as well, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, that, so, that, that ended a few years before Dante, though. I know, but what I'm saying is his two kind of right. going titles were, like, wrapped up. So, I don't know. I hope he comes back soon. I know he's doing the Doctor Who comic for Titan. Ah, so yes. Hopefully, once he's got that wrapped up, he can uh, look at doing some something else for 2000 AD. Uh, 
but no, it, this was the the Ian Edgerton two parter was interesting. I agree with you. Not the high points of the year, in my opinion, though, especially not coming off the back of Enceladus. Um, real quick, we should wrap up talk about Alien, the Alienist. Mm. Um, and how did you how did you feel about its conclusion? Uh, consider. I consider this to be like the first proper alienist story. Yes. Like the last one was uh, was like an, um, a prologue. Right. That was just a one shot. Uh, it was an interesting first tale. It was a fun first tale. It had uh, good pacing, excellent art, um, disturbing art at times, um, in a very likable lead duo um, with a you know interesting role reversal. Um, fun. I liked it. I know some people unfavorably compared it to Dandridge and um, oh, Avni. Avni Crucis. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think it's a superficial yeah. comparison I think related only by genre. Yeah, I think it's honestly uh, more like Doctor Who than either of those. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, 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 the relationship the two leads have, but it's the role reversal. Right. Where the companion is the the alien who makes the decisions, and the mm. and the uh, and the and the lead man is a like a charlatan. Yeah, kind of a puppet, but um, yeah, it's it was good. I I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I I really like um, Reggie as a character, uh, if only yeah. because he doesn't come off as a complete like um, thick-headed dunder uh, idiot. And he doesn't, in this sort of weird stuff going on around him, sort of rolls off of him. He he basically he doesn't he's he's playing a role, but at the same time he's not like completely oblivious to what's going on. Yeah, he's just he's not in charge, but he doesn't he he's a, uh, I mean he's like a Doctor Who companion, I guess. That you know he, he can he's, deal he's with. Seen some, yeah, he's seen some shit and he knows how to cope. Yeah, he knows delegate to her. She knows what she's doing. Just you'll be okay. Yeah. Um, definitely sets up uh, follow-up source, uh, stories in the future about this impending doom to the planet. Yeah. Um, that, that's cool. It, it's interesting that um, all these things we've seen before now are just kind of like the, the little parasites, the little heralds that come before yeah. for big kind of interdimensional beastie. Right. Thing. So that'll be interesting to see when that finally comes around. Um I liked the scene when the house, at the end of like the second to last part, the house started to disintegrate, and there was, whereas before now there's been like lots of cross hatching and stuff like that, it looked like a Victorian illustration. Yep. And suddenly, all of a sudden, it's really technical looking. Um, I know I've said it already, Mobius type. Right. It it it, it, it loses its rigid structure and starts becoming more organic and alive and twisted. I really like that transition. That was a that was an interesting kind of design choice. Um, but uh, Eon Covney as an artist has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, I'm surprised this is the first thing he's done. For I know, right? I, I, I would have thought he'd have done something before now. But um, definitely someone to keep an eye on. Yeah, you'll definitely be. Well, I, I should think he'd be working on this. I really hope it doesn't become another one of those. Strips that just keeps changing the artist in the early days. Yeah, that'd be. It doesn't annoy me so much as 
you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to have a, an artist to affiliate with a strip, if you know what I mean. Right. Like, so uh, a, a, Quill, a Quill is a good example of that, where it started out with, um, was it, um, was it Gallagher? Yeah, Gallagher was first, and then they got replaced by... <sighs> Patrick Goddard? Goddard, yes. And, you know, both artists are great, but I know which one I prefer, for consistency's sake, at least. Mm. I actually think that's one of the instances that doesn't bother me so much because both artists have, have got such strong style. Styles. Yeah, and, similar and style. Yeah, the, the transition isn't that awkward. Right. Uh, I have noticed that for the next um, Aquila series, they've changed the artist again. Oh. I'm just going to find that because that was on a thrill of the future. Was it? Aquila, yeah, Aquila Charon's Mercy. Paul Davidson is illustrating it. Paul Davidson. Yeah. I don't know that name off the top of my head. I know he's done a few dreads, and he's done a lot of work for Marvel. Yeah. Uh, but um, I don't know when... He, he, yeah, he, he's basically going to be the, the artist for the next Aquila series. Well, but, um, well there you go. There, there's a series that's already starting to like fracture yeah. in terms of artists... Well, gray area was like that in the first year. Oh yeah, gray area. That well, gray area. Um, it started, of course, with started with Richardson. Richardson, yeah. And then Lee Garrett, right? Yes. Yeah. And then they they Garrett kind of became the the main artist on that, and now Harrison is like the main artist main on artist. it. Yeah. As long as they stick with Harrison, I think Harrison's a good a good good fit for right now, at least. Yeah, for the current arc, he, he's a, he is a fit yeah. with all the, the bizarre aliens and stuff like that. And, he and I want to say he's been consistently on it for the last year at least. So Yeah, he definitely did the last run on Earth as well, so that works. Uh, I think he's like making the series his own now, so I think that one could settle in. Did you ever read the second, uh, the, the second um, book of um, the Ten Seconders? Yes, yes, I did. That, that was train that was a shame. That was the absolute worst case of artist switching you've ever seen. It was, I don't know, it was going all the way through. It was like Bagwell, Bagwell, Bagwell. Wait, hang on, Ben Wilshire? No, 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 no. I'm not. No, I don't mean that. That's book three. That's book three. There's you a second to... book. Book one yes. was done by Mark Harrington. Uh, I have. I haven't read. Book one or book two yet, book, but I do know two, about the artist change. Book two changed artists three times in the middle of its run. Grief. It was, and the first artist was absolutely the worst choice. Then they got Dom Reardon to do some pages, and they were pretty good. And then I can't even remember who finished it out. Oh, Dom Reardon's always good. But it was like that with the second book of Ichabod Azrael, wasn't it? Dom Reardon did. He got like, sw- yeah, he got switched out, but his replacement was pretty bang on as a replacement. Yeah. I and couldn't then, even tell us the switch happened. I, I heard quite a few people say that. I was like, "Going really? You didn't notice?" It's just, but it was that um, Frank Frank Fusco. Uh, oh, it'll come to me in a minute. But it was um, it wasn't that, that intrusive. It yeah. was a really good one. And then, of course, the third book of Ichabod Azrael had a new artist on it who remained consistent. But now this happens, no. Frequently, but fairly frequently. Yeah, it's kind of like um, if I was reading a series of Kingdom, 
and then suddenly Richard Elson yeah. stopped illustrating it, and I'd be replaced by, I don't know, Will, someone else. Wilshire or... Um, Wilshire or anyone or, like that. Yeah. It's just kind of like, it's... It, I don't know. I know there are, like, political and time reasons, and I don't know, the artist might be in an injury or something, yeah. but it, 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 it does frustrate me yeah. a little bit. Yeah, and you know, I, I sometimes I wonder like what the schedule is for this sort of stuff. I always assume that the way they do this is all in the can before you start, before you start serializing it weekly because you got to make sure you have it all. But that may not always be the case. Yeah, yeah, basically, there may be a lead time on it while it's running. So anyway, um, yeah, that wraps up uh, pretty much everything that started way back in. Um, where did this? Where was the last jumping on Prague? Last jumping on oh, Prague was way back when. Was uh, thirty four, nineteen thirty four. Yeah, yeah. It's basically a, since we started the podcast. Yeah, it's been a pretty good run in general between those periods and now, and now we got four new, five new stories kicking off mm. in uh, nineteen fifty 1950 and nineteen fifty one. You say new stories? None of these are all. You know what? That's a really good story. point. These are all sequels. Mm-hmm. And. Um, what even makes it even more amazing is, in terms of jumping on to something that's already an ongoing series, yeah. this is a really good jumping on point. It actually really is. We'll get to it because, um, well, first of all, we'll talk about Judge Dredd really quick. And the return of PJ, maybe, who we were talking yes. about a little bit earlier. What's funny is we haven't even seen him yet. It's all in these no. notes. Well, uh, we... we think we've seen him. yeah you know with this pj maybe, maybe who knows of disguise yeah who knows he could be anyone he could be mind controlling anyone yeah basically for listeners who don't know pj maybe is like one well you'll probably all know but pj maybe is one of the major reoccurring dread villains yeah he's also one of the major reoccurring ones who hasn't been shot at dread or killed by dread at any point yeah He's been Sorry. captured once, I think. Yes, and that that was the that was the, the the day of chaos prequel, wasn't it? And then he he escaped. That's right. At the end of that, and uh, and his whole deal is that he is a career serial killer, and he mm-hmm. absolutely loves playing games with authority. And who's the highest authority? But Judge Dredd. He considers Dredd his primary nemesis, and so he is tries to play up his Moriarty to his homes. Yeah, and he's a he's a complete genius um, and a master of committing these uh, committing murder. Um, but he's since Chaos Day, it's been a little bit difficult for him to get attention because you know there's been quite a lot of big disasters since Chaos Day. Chaos Day itself was a massive disaster. I seem to remember that. A, a part of the build-up of Chaos Day was a scheme he had to kill off all the competitors for Mayor of Mega City One. That's right, because um, he, had, of course, previously he had been inhabiting the body of someone who had just become Mayor of Mega City One, and he kind of played into that whole uh, Chief Judge Seinfeld debacle. Yes, and he got caught up in the fallout of that and wound up getting caught. And so when they were doing elections for a new mayor, he basically set up a scheme to kill all the 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 candidates uh, as a as a kind of revenge thing. Problem was is that they couldn't 
not link it directly to him because building up to Chaos Day, they had the the, the new Russian factor to worry about. Um, Democracy Now were kicking off. All these different terrorist groups were kicking off, and that 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 irked him because on the news and everything, they didn't acknowledge it as an act of PJ. Maybe right because there's nothing he loves more than the attention. Yes, he does this for the attention. So he he. he his ego's not been stroked for a while, so this mind game he's playing with Dread in the current story is probably like the first time he's actually been able to exercise his, his scheming in years. Because previously he's probably not been able to do it for fear of, you know, someone breaking into the house or something and getting hold of the dark judges because he was being held them captive for like 12 months. Yeah. I'm actually kind of curious what his scheme here is because as far as I can tell, he's trying to help Dredd catch another serial killer. Yeah. My guess is that he's jealous and he's trying to get him out of the way, but because that's the sort of petty person that PJ maybe is at his core. Hmm. But I'm a little unclear as to what his other goals are because I don't know. Off in competition, possibly. Possibly. Like in, a mess, in a messed up city like Mega City One. Because I don't, so. I don't think he is the. See, Dread believes that he is the he is the serial killer that he's trying to help Dread catch. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that's not the case. No. So. It, already the water's been pretty muddied because um, they've tried to link all the different crimes together or link different ones together. So. In. The most recent instalment, um, it was it was shown that that, that wasn't always going to work. That, um, although certain serial killers might confess to a certain number of crimes, other ones they didn't actually commit. So PJ maybe is deliberately throwing them off. Right. The trail by sewing in the suggestion that these are all linked. They could, you know, it could all be the same person. It could be different people. They could all be PJ maybe. Some of them maybe PJ maybe. It's like he's playing a game with them. Definitely. And um, he knows that they're gonna have to like bite and get involved because it's just this department. So they they can't just ignore an open like declaration of oh I know where all these serial killers are. Yeah. So yeah, That's it's weird. a pretty good start to what is probably going to be a dread story of the year because um, you know it's Wagner PJ maybe and. Colin McNeil, so it's basically all the all the recipes for uh, a very memorable dread. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. It's a little bit to judge because it does look like it's going to run for I don't know six six or nine. Six. It seems to be kind of like one of those mini epic storylines rather than your on average four parter. Right. Um, but uh, we're already at three parts, so it's a little early to like judge where it's going but as you say it's, it's a splendid creative team so I have no doubt it's going to be excellent by the end of it and it'll all come together so um what do you think of Defoe oh Defoe as, mm. as, a, as, a, as a, like a whole I have only read one previous Defoe story okay uh, that was the obvious well no I read two there was the, the previous story arc that was in 2018, and there was a one-shot in the Halloween special last year. Um, going off that, I do not know enough to, honest to God, have an opinion yeah. on the series. It seems to be fairly restrained by Pat Mill's standards, but then this installment came along, 
and I've questioned that opinion. Yeah? Because it, it, it seems to be pure Pat Mills. I see. Well, I've been reading it since it's, since it started, and to be honest, I thought the premise was really good, the art's really good, but in typical oh, yes. Pat Mills fashion, it became an incomprehensible mess about halfway through. Mm-hmm. Um, like there was this like whole arc like that was like treated like a superhero story like gone wrong. It was oh I remember that. Yeah, that yeah. was just I couldn't even understand what what's going on half the time. Uh, but this this new chapter, um, I actually completely forgot that they sort of concluded like the first like story arc, first villain, and that yeah he quit his job didn't he? Yeah. As, as a... As a reek killer. Yeah, I, I didn't. I actually had completely forgotten that he'd sort of retired from his job as a reek killer, and this actually makes this a really good jumping-on point for this series. It makes it more accessible because it's kind of like a restart of hostility. So you kind of like get off on the ground floor again about you know new threat, new yeah yeah. It's like if I remember correctly, the the, the previous threat was. The, like free generals who worship Satan or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, uh, there was. I seem to remember there was that one zombie. There was one who'd been turned into a zombie and kind of like trundled around on the back of a giant zombie. Yep, that sounds that sounds like something from Defoe. And uh, what was the other one? Faust, of course. Yes, uh, I think he was like the like leader. He gets he gets, he gets mentioned in this story as because he's he's dead, so the re- the reek problem kind of went away. And then came back, and now it's back. Is um, that's obviously that's why probably why it is a good jumping on point. I, I I'd, I'd probably consider this my first actual exposure to because the last one was just incomprehensible. Yeah, cause you're coming in the end at, at the very least. Yeah, it was it was difficult for me to understand what was going on. Yeah, um, but this one it, it it's got me to understand the world, and it by Pat Mills standards, it's not actually no that is preachy but how preachy is dependent on the installment and it yeah. depends what it's talking about you're, you're talking about all these unrepentant uh, uh, uh killers robbers yeah you think that's like a message he's trying to convey of some kind yeah and also obviously there's the you've got the the peasants working for the gentry and ah or down with down with the down with the rich, up with the poor, and all. Yeah, I guess there is a bit of that going on, isn't there? Yeah, and uh, but no, uh, script-wise, I, I can't have an opinion on it at this point. Art-wise, Lee Gallagher is on point. Yes, he's excellent. He can draw the gore like no one else. Um, particularly loved the last panel on the um, on the first installment with. What I believe is supposed to be the the, the local reek killer. Yeah, yeah. Is he didn't do his job very well? No, he didn't. Now he's in bits. That was actually kind of morbid because I was looking at that panel for a while and I was going, "Oh, that is Squire or Sten." I was just like, "Well, one of the zombies," yeah. and then I realised that one of them has just a severed head, and I was going, "Oh, oh, oh, that's him." <laughs> Yeah. Only, de- only, de- only this old uh, killer comes out of retirement for one more job can save us. It, it, it's the diehard of two thousand. It, it is kind of when you think about it, and you know Defoe's whole story starts is that his whole family was killed by the first Reek uh, invasion, 
And so he's kind of like resetting things because he's got a new family now. And you got to wonder if they're going to get wiped out to put him back in the job permanently. And that would be really, really cliche. So I kind of hope it goes somewhere else. It could do. Could do the Walking Dead thing and him having to take his family on the road or something. That would be interesting, I think. I I think the setting for Defoe is interesting. I'll grant it that. The period of history is an interesting one. It's... Seventeenth century. Yeah, it it, well, this yeah. Start, this 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 kicked off in the year sixteen sixty six. Okay, yeah. So, so it's got to be around, still around century. that point. It, it that's not one that's really like properly used in this kind of historical horror comic or anything. Like it tends to go through the Victorian era or goes all the way back to the Tudors or right. So this is like an interesting place to. I know Isaac Newton is around. He was like the head like making shit guy. Who makes all the yeah. technology? Uh, I kind of want to go back and read the books now. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you know, if you're, it's one of Pat Mills, I think, better series, if only because Gallagher helps rein in some of the uh, structure, and okay. it's got some interesting ideas, but it's also got a lot of like, it's a lot like ABC Warriors, and it's a lot like, um, um, it's a lot like. Uh, what do you mean there's a lot of flashbacks? Is that, well, no, well, there is a lot of flashbacks, but it's what it is is, is like there's a lot of characters that have very specific personalities and very specific abilities, and they behave okay. a specific way. It's almost like a superhero team book, in okay. in in okay. some respects, because you get these you get that, that is what I like about ABC Warriors the fact that I each character is in, is distinct. Yeah. So that's that's good. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the each like Reek Hunter is like distinct. But they're also like a reference to like something historical that is lost on me sometimes. Okay. They're also all crazy, have pieces falling off of them. <laughs> they're all just a mess. That's good. Yeah, I mean, okay. you, I, I think might, you'd I like might it. Check out previous books. Yeah, you uh, should start at the beginning. I think you, you, I think you'd enjoy it for what it is. It's not the. Most well, I like a good zombie comic. Yeah, so yeah. There we go. And these zombies are interesting because they're not all mindless. They, it's the sort of zombies where you have the leader, intelligent zombie, and then you have the horde. Yeah. So it's 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 a bit different than your typical zombie apocalypse sort of setup. Yeah, it's it's good. And the and the artwork is fantastic. Oh, the artwork's great. Kind of makes me wonder what it looked like in color, but at the same time, black and white. I think is yeah perfect for the atmosphere definitely Gallagher seems to be going down the route that Brian Bolland went down though of making everything like you can make out every pore on a person's face in some panels and it's just kind of like how long does it take him to do this it's can't be cost effective no. but you know if it works oh well he is very good at keeping like like likenesses consistent across different panels and angles you can definitely tell who's who most of the time. Yes. Yeah. As I said, this is more or less a first first impressions, but it's it looks fun. Yeah. But I'll see how it goes from month to month. It's 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 not like um, other Pat Mills titles that have been published in 2000 AD that I could mention that I was not particularly fond of. Yeah. I've I've slagged that particular title off enough. That yeah. I'm going to leave it now. I think it's this is definitely one of his better of his most recent you know, efforts, I think. Mm. Yeah, I look forward to it. But yeah, the, um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to where this, uh, this uh, sort of like restart goes, because 
We'll see yeah, if he, we'll see if he starts there's repeating. There's no one to reanimate the dead. How are the dead coming back? Yeah, yeah. Force of will or something? I don't know. We'll find out. So Br- uh, Brass Sun. I was Sun- a lot more happy for Brass Sun coming back. Brass Sun's back. Yes. What, what did you want to say? No, I was just saying I was a lot more happy for the return of Brass Sun yes. than I was for the return of Defo. Yep. Um, Brass Sun's always a good one. Uh, it's definitely. You know, it's got a lot going on for it in terms of, like, science fiction. It's um, a pretty high concept when you think about it. It is. It's, um, all, it, it's all kind of, you know, how our universe is constructed and what makes our universe. And all this universe is all a hologram. But uh, the real universe, you're strapped to a chair with bits of metal sticking inside your head yeah it's um yeah it is pretty high concept oh you've got Kurt Von Gutt living in your head so well yeah there's that too who may or may not be an echo of God who cre- an alien who created your universe I find it hilarious that if he is you know what's left of God it, he just he decides to take the appearance of one of the great mathematical sciences of our scientists of our time it's amusing little it's a great series i think it's i've mentioned before now how it doesn't seem to fit into edgington's uh, greater scheme of a multiverse yep it doesn't fit into anything like that it's its own thing um but i think i think it's all the better for that because if you started introducing concepts like um leviathan and haster and um Right. The Brotherhood of the Book and all these other things that have, you know, been introduced into the various different Edgington st- stories, it would actually detract from the world Definitely. that he's created for Brass yeah. which is its own thing. It has, it has its own cosmology. It really doesn't need anyone else's. Yeah. And um, it's nice that I.N.G. Coulbard is working on two books at the minute. So. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's another artist who kind of goes away for long periods of time and then comes back and he'll do loads. But um, the fact that he's tied in now with both Edgerton and Dan Abnett is, is nice because he's a very talented artist. He's very good at getting individuals distinct. Um, like, Ren is a very unique individual character, whereas... Um, you, you couldn't compare the villains to them because they're these giant six, you know, eight foot tall ladies. They are quite large. With wheels and cogs on their heads, and it's it, it's he's very good at conveying a an atmosphere, so to speak. It's like when I turned the page from like Ren in in her dream world to being like on this torture device, I was like, ugh. Yuck! It's like, where did that come from? He was—he's very—he's very, very effective in his means. What else was I going to say? I don't know. The start of this story has been uh, pretty good. Um, you definitely—it's nice to get back to like the this. Um, I forget what they're called. They're like uh, they're a religious order that like keeps the, like the you know keeps the um the universe and the solar system in like whatever working order they can 
and generally yeah. try to monitor things to, so that things don't fall apart even further. Um, and then there's this, they've run into this particular, you know, sect of that order that is like very much more extreme, extreme yeah. in their methods. Uh, prime numbers. That's the name of the organ. That's, that, the that's it. And, um, these, you know, in particular that they're, you know, they want to, uh, impede their journey to, to whatever their ends are. Yeah. You know, it's good. Yeah, it's definitely playing into like, um, you know, the sort of extremism angle, um, religious extremism only, of course, it's from like the science perspective. So, you know, it's got a little bit of interesting thing going on there. I'm just wondering what happened to that. Um, it was like an Icarus kind of thing. It was a golden robot mechanism thing that was chasing them at the right. end of the last story. He, and he hasn't turned up yet. I don't know what's, whether he's going to crop up or anything like that. Yeah, this would that, be a good time for that to happen. Bust them out of the, um, the torture chamber and everything I think like that, that. that was also chasing the uh, the, the celestial, uh, the uh, blind watchmaker in her head, so... They both have yeah, got some, a conflict of villains. Yeah, here, conflict so. of interest going on. So, definitely, definitely a possibility. Because that thing was like the embodiment of the 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 anti god. Right. It was the, it was the ultimate soldier for the thing that wanted the the oh, oh what was it called blind watchmaker the, the blind watchmaker. So yeah, it's. It'd be interesting to see when and if it turns up, because it, otherwise it's, you know, a dangling plot thread. So yeah, Brasson, overall... Still good. Really liking it. It's still good. Um, what else do we have? We got the return of Bad Company. Yeah. How do you feel about Bad was, Company? It does. I, I have... You see, I've only read the original Bad Company. I didn't read the, the Return with Stevie Orwell. I didn't read any of that. You didn't read any of the Cruel Heart stuff. No, just yeah. the original story. Yeah, I've um, I've I've read. What have I read? I've read the first the first book, The Cruel Heart, and I think I read that book three that came back in like the mm. early two thousands. Yeah. Although I can't the remember. Stevie Orwell. Yeah, one. that's it. I don't. I never really liked Bad Company. Um, a lot of people, see, a lot of people see it as a classic, but I don't. I mean, it is a classic, but I don't see it as like one of the big classics. Okay. Personally, I don't. I don't think it's big enough to be one of the big classics. If you know what I mean. Yeah. It's. I have the complete Bad Company, which means I own Cruel Heart and I own the 2003. Yeah, that's the one I have. I, I, I haven't got to them. I only ha I've only read the original. And um, Brett Ewins was fantastic on it. Of course, Peter, Mill Peter Milligan is one of my favorite writers. He's definitely a good writer. I, I, I absolutely love Peter Milligan. I, I particularly like him when he works with Brendan McCarthy. But Peter Milligan, full stop, is enough in enough reason to get me reading a book. But um, it's. It's nice to see. I think the only reason this was actually created beyond like a, a, a planned sketch or anything like this was in tribute to Brett Ewins, who uh, is sadly no longer with us. Yes. Away earlier this year. Um, and Rufus obviously worked. I think Brett Ewins helped Rufus Dayglow get into 
the industry right. by getting him into the small press and eventually getting him a place in 2000 AD. Makes sense. Um, it's nice to see Rufus Day glow at all. Yeah, I know, right? He, I, I don't know what he's been doing recently. Not, um, not Tank Girl. He's not been doing Tank Girl, no. Um, but uh, what has he been doing? Because the only thing, the last thing I remember him for was the low life story he did. That's that right. Was, he did do a lot. It was ages ago. Yeah, it was ages ago. Um, back he, when Amy Nixon was alive. Yeah, he did that. Yeah, oh, back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah, he did. He did. He did that one off. Low Life, which I think was in the magazine. It was. Yeah, that was the magazine one. And then he did all those Tank Girl ones with uh, Martin. Yes. Tank Girl guy. And that's I the last that. time I saw him do any regular work. Unless he did a cover. Th- I think he's done a few covers. Yes. I know he's done covers here and there. He did one for Origins and stuff like that. He's um, He's been around, but I think he must be working in a different industry or something because he's still definitely... Yeah proactive artist his tumblr and his twitter and his everything like that is very active but um he doesn't seem to be i don't know he's doing something somewhere but i can't for the life of me think of what he's doing probably in television yeah as a, as a storyboard artist or storyboard concept consultant his style would definitely lend to that kind of work uh but no uh bad company this is this fourth story, yeah. the fourth book of Bad Company, is if all the previous ones could be considered like the horrors of war through the eyes of the members, this is trying to adjust back to normal life. Yeah, this is like post-traumatic stress. Hell. Yeah. This is a PTSD story. And um, it's pretty distressing in certain respects. As... Um, because all, all the old, all the old uh, bad company members who are still alive, they're all on drugs to suppress their memories. And poor Kano has been getting himself Frankensteined up even more at, by the government. Was, yeah. As just K- Kano was a super soldier Frankenstein anyway, yeah. so he's he's more machine now than man. Yeah. Now he's mostly holes. Yes. Yeah, he does have a pretty big hole where um, obviously his heart should be, but as I said, that's spoilers for people who haven't read Bad Company. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's good. There's a lot of mystery going on here because the big obvious one is none of these people should still be alive. Is that it? I could Is it? Because I, I did have a recollection that they all died. Yeah, they all died. That's what I thought. Everyone was dead. I think we saw the deaths of everyone except Flytrap, and then we saw Flytrap's body later on anyway. So. Yeah, and that was in book one? I, I'm pre- <laughs> to memory, yes, unless I flicked through the sequels and I'm getting it jumbled up. I can't remember. Yeah. I definitely can't remember reading the sequels, but I do remember them all dying. See, that's what I thought so. too. So that was, a, that was something I was wondering about myself. Honestly, where this seems to be going is it seems like they're going to like pick up their weapons and save, try to save Kano in the most violent fashion possible. Oh. As only bad company... Oh, you, of course you haven't read 1936. Oh, so there's you? more coming? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Sorry, I should probably, we should probably tell readers I'm one issue ahead. Yeah, 1953. Jim, so I'm not trying to spoil anything. Um, yeah, wait till you get to it. Okay. It's actually quite funny. Okay. But... Um, 
No, it's it, it's an interesting tribute story. Definitely. Is but, um, no, Peter Milligan, Rufus Dayglow, nice creative team. I'm happy with it. I don't think it's going to outlive its welcome. I doubt it's going to be more than eight parts. It doesn't seem like it's going to be a, a big 12-part or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. It'll probably wrap up fairly fairly soon. Yeah, in, four, in, five, in five or six, I think. Okay. We'll see. But it's nice. It's 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 pleasant enough. Yeah. All right, so I think that's it for 2000 AD for now. Yeah. Uh, we'll uh, we can talk more about Sinister Dexter next time. Yeah, that seems. Give it a little bit more time. And we'll we'll do we'll do we'll talk about our personal opinions on Sinister Dexter. Oh yes. <laughs> oh, Sinister Dexter. So let's uh let's try to punch up this uh, magazine and get right through it. Pretty quickly, yeah. Um, uh, of course, uh, the big thing about this latest uh, issue of the Judge Dread magazine is that the um, Gordon Renee, Carlos Esquara, uh, El, what is it, El Almadrido, Almadrido, Almadrido ends. And what did you ultimately think of it? Short, sweet, simple. Great creative team. Um, couldn't really ask for a lot more. Is to be honest, it's nothing epic, nothing groundbreaking, nothing particularly new, but still very entertaining. It's it's, it's like um, you always have that one pair of jeans that you keep putting on because it's very comfy and well worn. Yeah. It's it's comfort reading. Is what it is. It's dread. Having a team up with some guy in mysterious clothing, shooting a bunch of goons, and a basic corrupt company storyline to accompany it. And, um, of course, a bit of mystery mixed in with the assist character. Yeah. Maldito character. Of course, we so, never really find out who he was. I don't think we were supposed to. No, I think that's that's true. I think he was just supposed to be some random dude. Yeah. And the imp- my theory that it was um, cursed of Coburn didn't bear fruit. Nope. Sadly. But um, I think the implication here at the end is that he's a dead guy at the very least. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure the whole the idea here is the guy who gets shot in the chest, the radiation brings him back to life, and he takes over the role yes. of El Maldito. Because he's got that greenish tint to his skin, and I know he got shot in the heart. So the only way yeah. he'd be able to take up the mantle is that he was if he was undead. Yeah. That basically seems to be it. That it's, it's something that's just passed on by person to person. Well, that's that much is obvious. It's, it's the frustration of not... I guess we're not supposed to know. It probably wouldn't have been anyone we know. If it was some guy from out of town, it would have been a one in billions of chance of it being cursed of Coburn. Right. Or anyone else. Or plot twist, it could have been Par Angel. Uh, back from the dead again. On the wrong planet. But um, it could have been absolutely anyone from Dreadlore. But the fact that Rene chose to just go with it's just some guy. You know, fair enough. It would have probably been more confusing if it had been Coburn. Right. It's like, what's he doing here? Why is he doing here? You know, why did he abandon his post? And you know, there'd be more questions raised and answered. Right. 
So this is, of course, was a send up to a uh, old um, another comic strip that uh, Square uh, Carlos uh, drew, right? Yes. Um, did it ever reveal who that was? Oh no, we knew how El Maldito was. He had like a backstory. Oh, he, and everything like so that. The, he was he was like um, the husband. He was like a cotton slave type of character who killed his master and then oh so he's black yes oh that's interesting yeah. or was he a Mexican oh may have I've only read the odd bits here and there yeah maybe it was like a Mexican farmhand or something it was seemed to have been something similar to that because it's not been properly reprinted I've only read bits here and I there. see I but, see but I know I know this was you know Rene was sending up to the strip um I read it in an interview um he did with Bleeding Cool or somewhere yeah um but the, the the general twist is the same. That's why it ties into the the plantation and the workers and the company. Is it's the same kind of origin story and the same kind of character. They even have the same design with the large sombrero type hats and the um, the massive coat and stuff like that. It's, it was a send up. It was a, a tribute. So much. And of course, it was Rene's last strip, so he wanted to just say, "Screw it! I'll, I'll I'll write the story I want." Right. Yeah, I thought overall, I mean, it was okay. I mean, it didn't really. It was entertaining, but it it wasn't the kind of Judge Dread story I like to read. Yeah, I do. I do prefer my Dread to be story arc heavy. Yeah. And this this was kind of like light and dispensable. Uh, it, it's well, we were talking about the Robbie Morrison story from a few years ago early on. That's an example of something that is not pot thread dependent, so it doesn't have the same kind of you know drive or rump to the uh, the script. You know, it just feels dispensable, which is perhaps unfair because even if it is a good story, it's you know, what can you do? Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, dispensable stories seem to crop up in the mega a lot more, but then you get things like Wagner's Dead Zone or Ewing's The Cop, which are, you know, big long story out dependent ones. Yeah, I want to say uh, next Dread story should be somewhat important. I think it might be like the. I think it's. I think it's like another America sequel or at least follow up. Yeah, it ties into Total War. Some, ties into Total War somehow. Yeah. Same terrorist organization, same, and of course they rebuilt the Statue of Justice again. Yep. Which you would have thought was the, the least of their priorities. Priority number one, Statue of Justice. Rebuild Statue of Justice and rebuild the Statue of Liberty while you're at it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was just a, a hand at one point. Yeah. Mm. So I'm um, just going really quick. Um, Storm Warning continues to be what it is. Uh, yeah. still nothing really exciting. I mean, it's a, you know, they go into a pit, there's like a, well, they go into a block and it's full of zombified crazy people. Yeah. And we learn don't touch Storm because bad things will yeah. happen to your head. Yeah. Screwy stuff. It was, I, I, I've said about this the last couple of installments, it's just... 
it's so forgettable. Sure is. I couldn't even. I, I was just flipping through it because I couldn't remember what even happened. It's really, yeah. un, really unfortunate. The artwork, I think, is, is has improved with the changing color palette, and it's nice at least to look at. And the scenes with all the 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 possessed citizens running through the block up the stairs towards the judges is a pretty creepy sequence. Yeah. Uh, but it's I don't know it, it just doesn't have the effect to, do you know what's interesting though is the news that this is getting a reprint soon alongside Strange and Dark right like, that is the most unusual combination match. Yes. Yeah. the only thing they have in common is that they're set in Britsit yeah. and that's it and they've both got PSIs in it there, there is no resemblance Whatsoever, it doesn't feature any of the same cast or anything like that. Strange and Dark was an excellent series, and the store warning is just kind of like okay, but um, I don't, I don't know. There's much better stuff out there that could have been reprinted alongside Strange and Dark. Oh, um, that about sums me up. About, first yeah, I got nothing else to say about same. it. It's just. It feels so mean. Just. It does feel mean. I hope. I hope uh, any of the creators aren't listening and frowning. I, I hate to hurt people's feelings. I, I, my advice would have been. I can't give professional advice because yeah. I'm not a writer or yeah. an artist, but. Just. Work on the structure a little bit, guys. Yeah. Work on the modus operandi and work on the. Give me some uh, characters I can care about. Yeah, basically. Uh, oh, lo- yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's it. Law- Lawless is just is ticking along pretty well. Um, this, on the other hand, has lots of characters I care about. Oh yes. Um, and of course, remember last episode we talked about this. I said uh, Lawson is pretending to be someone she's not. Mm-hmm. This chapter pretty much yeah. cements that. Yeah, that's. Uh, but the thing is. It, 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 I've only read one and a half. Well, no, not even. I've read, like, one um, book of Insurrection. Right. And it was the second half of the second book. Ah. And the first half of the third book. Oh, so it's a gap. I, I am completely out of the loop on Insurrection. Is she some kind of carryover character? I don't think is... so, no. She's definitely not. No. Okay, so she's completely new. She, okay. Lawson is completely new. The This other woman is completely new. The only thing that really yeah. ties it into Insurrection is the world it's set on and the um, the background of it being a frontier town with the oh, mechs, the uplifts, with the mechs, the uplifts and the aliens. Hmm. But, uh... Well, well that, that, that's my theory behind the, the crazy PSI judge saying, oh, the lights in the skies, the lights in the skies. Like, my theory is it's the Zind. Very well so, could be. Definitely could tie into that. That's, uh... I like the world Dan Abnett's creating. Yes. Yeah, I need to get on those insurrection trades. I've had them waiting. Insurrection's for... a good little read. It's not the yeah, best. I need to get. It, it's it's definitely got. A, you, you'll you'll question a few like aspects of it in terms of how it ties into Dread World. It definitely feels more like a Warhammer comic than a oh, than, oh yeah than a just Dread comic at times. Oh, I, I got that from what little I read. But once you can just dispense with it. I mean, what amused me the most was the discovery that it had been acknowledged as canon in 
dread because didn't Amy Nixon in Titan say something about it? it's like oh you can't send out a big force of SJS judges to come and get us because they're all out on the co- the, the far colonies. I forgot about that. I think that did happen. Yeah, I was just kind of like I I thought insurrection was like. Some kind of other world things, like else world. See, I I thought it took place when I was first reading Insurrection. My assumption was it took place in the far future of Dread's world. Okay. And then it turned out it didn't. Yeah, it, it's kind of an oddball then, isn't it? Out of all the different strips to claim to be part of Dread World, and then yeah. all of a sudden the the, the base. Like, oh, yep, this. the fleet of SJS ships is really the big what the fuck of that because how does that make sense yeah but anyway lawless continues to be absolutely phenomenal i love it it's definitely delightful i'll be sad when it's gone for another year yeah it'll be back definitely i i suspect it's gonna be i don't think it i think I, i can't picture it being a free like insurrection, like a trilogy yeah. of stories. I think it's going to run and run and run, run, run until it's run its course. I'm personally shocked that the he that Abnett pulled the trigger on finally bringing together this is she who she says she is bit. I did not expect it to happen in the middle of this arc. No, it definitely was. It does seem very premature, but I reckon that's the thing. Yeah, it's going to be. She's only she's been here for a short amount of time, and even if she's not an official like. Justice Department judge, they're gonna take her side over this new, this new lass. Yes. The actual Mister Lawson. Right. Well, so it's like they're gonna run the proper judge out of town. And uh, I don't know. Def- Perhaps if they do that, that'll be that'll lead to a second insurrection. Yeah. You don't know. Definitely. Like a f- they're, they're taking arms up against an, uh, a proper judge, so it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I'm also I also really like Rondo. As a character. Yeah, and he seems to be sticking around a bit. Hmm. He, 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 he scratches the itch that Dante left when he just stopped being published. Yeah. He's the same kind of character. He's kind of hairy, hairy rogue. I kind of fi- I find it funny that he's flirting with Pfeiffer, if only because I'm pretty sure he had sex with Lawson last last episode. Yeah. He's yeah. <laughs> just like, no, I didn't. What are you on about? She's completely denying it, of course. Well, she was probably so hammered she couldn't remember anyway. All I know uh, is she woke up drunk with no clothes on, so. <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do like what's going on with the series at the minute. It's just fun. It's pure fun. And intriguing and everything. And everything that a Dreadworld strip should be. Or everything that a comic should be. So, just real quick, back to Demon Nick. Of course. Uh, so you've gotten further along in your Jack Staff reading, I assume. Yeah, I've read the second volume. Oof. Well, I've read the first and the second, and so that's taken me like to issue five of the Image Run. Ah, and I've got I've got the next two books, so that's the entire original Image Run. Yes, that I've not read it yet. Um, uh, but but then of course I know there's a few little bits that I need to like tie up, so like the the Steel Claw miniseries. Yeah. So there's, I noticed the Steel Claw miniseries. I, I, like, I don't think there's a Steel Claw miniseries. There's, let me try to run them off the top of my head. There was a Weird World of Jack Staff one shot. Yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking of because the contents of that, I believe, was a newspaper strip. 
and then they collected it into that one shot. Oh, that, that's right. I completely forgot about that. It was so long ago. Yeah. And then there was um, there was a, an Eternal Warrior one shot. That frustrates me because that's not on Comixology. No. I don't know. I won't be able to find that until one day it's collected. And uh, who knows you know, when that'll when's be? Jack, when's Jack Staff coming back? When when are we gonna see it again? You know, and obviously there's the weird world of Jack Staff issues one through six. Right, that was the relaunch, trying yeah. to inject some life back into it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I, I'm getting there. What I like is how little there is of it. It's a fairly concise series to get into. So at this point, you've gotten a lot more comfortable to how Paul Grist writes and draws. Yes. He's, he's, I'm starting to get attuned to the little tricks, the jumping back and forth, and not just from scene to scene, but from time to time and place to place. Right. And like like in this like in this uh, chapter of Demon Nick, there's this bit where they're sitting across from the table from each other, Mercy and Demon Nick, and they kind of go back and forth, but they keep jumping be- between the same table. Yeah, yeah, different angles. Mm. Um, I like I like seeing Mercy uh, out of her uh, work clothes. Yeah, it was it was an unusual like design move. I thought he was going to keep her in it all along. He's just going to think, well, it's it's a bit cumbersome. And it must be frustrating to keep drawing all the uh, the different layers. Yeah. So it's obviously gone for something more simple this time. Um. Yeah. This this chapter is pretty good. I like. Um. Oh, what am I trying to say? <sighs> I kind of like how all the players are starting to come into come into. It's kind of trying starting to develop more to the main plot. Yeah, we got the introduction of the Bone Lord, who I, I presume is going to be the main villain. Yes, he definitely seems to be important because he is the one looking for this uh, this magic stone. Yes. Um, and then we get. Darn it! I keep losing my thoughts. We've got this weird angel guy who just pops up at the end. I know he was like in a previous pages right he was, he was but, playing up a uh, like a, a, a drunk or a uh, hobo homeless, homeless person yeah. it turns out of course he's an angel of god mm. yeah like that i like that i like how paul grist lays the pages out so it's a mixture of full page splashes a mixture of it is a very unique style but I do feel that the panel work is a little more conventional than in um, Jack Staff. Yeah, well, that's the funny part, of course. If you if you've read Jack Staff or any of his other works, you know how experimental he actually can be, and this is definitely tamer by comparison. Oh, indeed. And there are still people who are saying they can't follow the panel layouts. Go left. No, go right. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Go right, then go down. It's not hard. But, um, yeah, this is still definitely the highlight of the magazine right now for me. Oh, yes. Definitely got the most... It's just got the most energy and the most ideas just flowing. Yeah. Cool character designs, fun characterization. What amazes me is this is almost entirely a one-man show. Definitely. I know he, does, I know he doesn't color it. Right. But there's, there's a heck of a lot, a lot of inking going on here. Because, of course, he's going to have to ink all the backgrounds are mostly black in some panels some pages and I don't know of course he does all, all it's all 
uh, all the writing is all the lettering is hand illustrated. Yep. So that's just crazy. Yep. Pretty nuts. Not a lot of people do hand lettering anymore. And no. Grist is definitely one of the best at it. Yeah, Phil Elliott is the only other collaborator on this. So, doesn't he? Didn't he do the image Jack Staff colors? Probably. I honestly don't know. I actually think that was Bill Crabtree, but uh, okay. I don't know. I don't know for certain. So that wraps up the magazine. I think. Uh, I think overall it was pretty good as far as magazines go. Um, it's got yes. two great strips, one bad strip. Well, it's one not very good strip and one okay strip. Yes. Which is about as best uh, you can hope for in the magazine these days. I'd elevate it to three great strips for me. Yeah. Jed ended well. It was good all the way through. Um, you know, it's bye-bye to Rennie for now. Um, uh, Demon Nick's very entertaining. Lawless is very entertaining. And that just leaves Storm Warning, which is kind of disappointing. Yeah. So, real quick, let's talk about um, the reprint uh, that's packaged in with every magazine. This time, uh, we, we, of course, Peter Milligan's back in the prog. It's a perfect time to reprint his his probably forgotten classic, Freaks. Yeah. Um, uh, which he did with John Higgins, who we talked a little bit about last month with his Future Shock. Yes. Um, that's probably the other reason why they decided to reprint it, because both of made a return to the prog recently. Very good point. I didn't even think of that. Uh, H- um, Higgins did that. Yeah, he did that one with the 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 head swapping. Uh, the head swapping overlord yeah. dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have to say that Freaks um, is actually pretty low key than what I expected. Um, it actually, at its core, it seems like that Twilight Zone episode with the pig face people. Yes. It, it, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like it's. I don't know if a lot of early 2008 drew upon stuff like that, but it definitely feels like the whole thing is about perception based on where you're from. Mm. Of course, yeah, because you get the human, he's kidnapped by aliens, and of course the, the freaky-looking aliens think he's the freak. Yeah. Because he only has two eyes and smooth skin. What a weirdo. Yeah. And it just no, it, it, it's it's not just perception between characters, it's perception of how we read it. We read it because... You have that first page. I automatically assumed that the things that were in the the suits right were human were people. Yes. Then obviously it turned out not to be. It was the the uh, the aliens, the freaks. So that was an interest interesting trip. Yep. Twist. I, I I will admit that I also was caught by that. And that's it's, it's one of these things that if it was published these days, it would be a it would be condensed down into a thriller. Yeah. Yeah, but as a five-parter, I think it has more room to, uh, to breathe. Definitely, and it works very well. I think I always thought it was longer though, because people talked about freaks, like say, "Oh, this is the the unreprinted Peter Milligan classic," and "Oh, I really want to see freaks reprints." It's just kind of like, what kind of multi-parts, really enjoyable story is this? It's just like, oh, it's it's five parts. I got to the end of it, and I was just like, "Is that it?" Is that it? It was just five? It's really short. What I found really interesting was how it kind of continued its theme, like reiterating it. Because you, 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 not only do you meet the first uh, three-eyed, the three-eyed aliens, you also have this uh, this pet alien who winds up actually being, you know, a super intelligent 
Oh, uh, yeah. def- um, a, um, basically, uh, they were a super intelligent race that hide themselves as like a primitive animal. And they also think that everyone else looks freaky. Hmm. And of course, then they summon uh, these super advanced aliens, giants, who also think everyone looks freaky. Yeah. And I think I think the message in all this is that no matter how cool you look or how freaky you look, you're basically just a person and you're basically a jackass. Because <laughs> yeah. everyone in this is almost unlikable in some degree. Mm. Almost everyone indeed. Yeah. I think only the... Um, um, I can never pronounce her name. Kilqua? I think she's. I don't think we're actually supposed to be able to pronounce her name. Good point. Uh, I think she's really the only really likable character. That is, yeah, that's a fair point. And because I, she takes mercy on uh, our protagonist at first, while saying, "Oh, can't we like augment him yeah, to look more?" Yeah, can't we? Uh, thinking she's being nice, and then later on, she obviously they obviously have they they get the relationship thing going. This whole taxi driver story arc going on there. Uh, it was yeah, it's it's a fun, interesting curio. Yep. Uh, I honest to God was amazed at how short it was. Yeah. Uh, the sequel to Freaks is Faces, which we will be getting next month. Uh, basically, I believe it's a direct follow-up, so we find out about um, what exactly happens now that she's on Earth. Yeah. Um, of course, uh, Milligan didn't write that one. Higgins did. Yeah, and then Mindy Newell is somehow involved. I don't know if she's the illustrator or... I don't know. Uh, you, you said you've read this one. You said it when it was published in the... Faces? Yeah. I've tried to read it. Um, the problem back then was I didn't have any context, so it was actually very, very confusing. Okay. So I'm really kind of interested to see what my second pass at is going to look like. Okay. I seem to remember a lot of people said on the various forums that they'd read Faces, but they hadn't read Freaks. Ah. They published so far apart. So they were published very far apart. Yeah, so they were a bit confused ultimately about what faces was going on about because they hadn't read Freaks. So I don't know. This was my first reading of Freaks. This will be my first reading of Faces. It'll be interesting to see how the sequel lives up to the original without Peter Milligan, obviously, writing it. And just real quick, uh, what did you think of the scrap? Uh, oh God, yeah. Uh, that's a, that's the Cy Spurrier um, and Richard Elson uh, kind of other half of this Freaks book. Um, I think it's good that they decided to reprint Freaks because otherwise they wouldn't have been able to reprint a five-parter like this. Right. There wouldn't have been space for it anywhere. So it, it was an interesting tale. I like the idea of there being a society where there is an impossible to measure divide between the wealthy and the poor. Right. And that there's this uh, task force created to make the poor feel even shitter than they already are. Huh, yeah. So, um, not too dissimilar from reality, to be honest, but... Um, I think it, I thought it took a really, a turn for the really, like, unexpectedly brutal when uh, she loses her pregnancy and she just kind of loses it. That was... I never like seeing anything like that in any media. Yeah. That's kind of like a gruesome step too far for me. It was, it was already kind of interesting that she was um, almost a pregnant action hero. That Yeah. You almost <laughs> I never see that. 
No, you never see. Very, very rarely. Outside of Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Um, but no, it was it was an interesting serial, I think. I liked the politics behind it. Richard Elson is a fantastic artist. I really liked our lead. Um, she was a really empathetic individual. I like how all the other like kind of cadets for this task force were forcing themselves to be emotionless in order to like achieve a career. Right. Where she's just like, I don't, I don't even care. It's a wage slip. Um, I, I, I don't quite understand how it works that they are able to suspend her pregnancy. Yeah, that's a little bit, a little bit weird. But uh, you know, science fiction. What you gonna do? Yeah. But was, um, yeah, was, I thought it was, I thought it was really good. I thought I'm glad that they reprinted it. It's one of those things that wouldn't have seen the light of day otherwise. Right, right. Original publication. I thought it was incredibly unusual what was going on between flashing back to the 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 the, the supercomputer that is like deceiving all these people. Yeah. And the modern day, and how it's it's um its actions have affected the world. Right how it's it is actually kind of taken over the world unintentionally it's it's interesting it's, it was an interesting concept i think it felt kind of like a pitch for a full series but at, this, at the same time if it had ended on a different note it could have done but at the end of the day it also felt like it was a self-contained serial so i don't know i don't know what Cyspuria had any plans for it but we certainly didn't see any, any anything else of it. Yeah. It's definitely another one of those series that kind of feels like an extended future shock. Yeah. Once again, like Freaks, it could easily have been condensed down into three parts. And yeah. Become a thriller further down the line. But who knows? Yeah. It was it was good as was. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, overall, I thought that, yeah, this is the... This is the sort of like reprint floppy that I look forward to. It's just two good stories, and you're done. Yeah, more of this, less of Harlem Heroes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, this episode's been running kind of long. I think we should just wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, uh, anything else we can? Honestly, Jim wanted to talk about the anime full season, oh. but I believe that could wait until the jump issue. It might actually be more appropriate for the jump issue because yeah. the anime we're both watching. Um, surprise, surprise, it's the One Punch Man anime. Of course. Of course. Um, so, until then, I believe that wraps up 2000 AD for the month. Yep. It's overall, very good times. Collections-wise, we're doing very well. Rebellion, uh, as I mentioned earlier, branching out to new things. And I think, very good. It's like... Great time to be jumping on. The, the jumping on prog just gone, I believe, is the best jumping on point we've had in a while. In years, yeah, yeah, definitely in some time. So I think it's even better than uh, the um, uh, the beginning of the year jumping on yearbook uh, year year end prog. I thought this year's was like particularly weak. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's it currently difficult one that one mm. because yeah, Dark Justice mainly, and that's not a, a very new reader friendly. Friendly, no. Story jump into is it no um but no it's it was a good point so if you're a new listener 
definitely start jumping on 2000 AD now, and I hope we haven't spoiled too much for you. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That's it from me. Yep. Thanks for listening, everybody. And remember, if you want to contact us, you can uh, drop us an email at weeklycomicsmonthly at gmail.com or leave us a comment on our website, um, guttertrash.net slash WCM. Um, and of course, you can find our podcast on iTunes and on our website. Mm-hmm. So uh, thanks for listening. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye.